0: Hi neighbors, my name is Brianna Snellgrove. Welcome to the Empathy Evolution. Co-host Becca McKeithen and I will converse with alternating guests and hosts from all walks of life to discuss important topics that apply to you, possibly a neighbor or a friend. As you tune in, we hope that you gain knowledge and possibly a new perspective. Our mission is to be advocates of empathy through active listening with openness and understanding. And we hope that you'll join us on our journey to a solution. The Empathy Evolution. Want to watch instead? Visit our YouTube channel to see what all the banter is about. You've taken the first step. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Empathy Evolution. My name is Bree Snellgrove. I'm one of your hosts today here with Becca McKeithen and Travis Patterson. And our special guest today is Shanna Peterson. She's calling us from Edmond, Oklahoma. Hello, Mm -hmm. Shanna. Hi, how are you doing? Pretty good. I want to introduce you today because I'm excited about this episode. I think there's a lot to talk about, um, but a little bit about Shanna. So Shanna is the founder of 35 Coaching, and so a little backstory on Shanna is that um, she's kind of a rock star in basketball. And so at like 10 years old. She started playing, and by 11, she was on an AAU team. And then she was invited to her first sports camp at, like, 13 and was recruited by D1 colleges when she was 14. So she was kind of like a prodigy of her time. And she was recruited for University of Arkansas and the SEC. Razorbacks! pigs. I'm afraid to, like, say it out loud. Suey! Like people it's say not, That's perfect. It? perfect. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Got it. Um, and so she played at the University of Arkansas – um, and the SEC, and I think I want to to lean to you to tell some of your personal journey, but from my understanding, I met you at a retreat a couple of weeks ago, or even just a week ago, I guess it's been, um, it's just been so long without you, Shanna. And
1: you um, <laughs> grew so much that it's like you've lived a couple of weeks. That's, that's
0: right. And um, we're going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about her experience as um, moving into the collegiate level as a young athlete, we're going to talk about um, some love and loss in her life. And we're also going to talk about that big, cons- you know, um, I don't want to call it a conspiracy. It's it's a heated topic about but, Simone Biles and her experience with the Olympics this past year.
1: Yeah, and mental health. I mean, right. it's almost, I think, during the Olympics, and, and I don't want to say it overshadowed. I think, in a sense, it was an overlying conversation that needed to happen that has I had yet to see happen in my lifetime prior to Simone Biles. And I was really happy to see it. Right. Especially as a mother, my daughter. uh, So this is Shanna and I's first time talking. It's Shanna, correct? Shanna, yes ma'am. And Mm -hmm. my daughter has a mental health diagnosis. And so for me to see representation on the grand stage is always a very positive thing, uh, Mm -hmm. especially for my daughter to have people to relate to that, hey, I'm not the only one that struggles, but not only that, I can be excellent and still have a mental health diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Simone Biles actually has said that she has a mental health diagnosis, but she did, in a sense, retreat from the Olympic competition at a time to focus on her mental health before she came back. So, yeah. tell us about so tell us about you, and um, and then we'll get into that conversation a little yeah. later.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited. Um, I don't know if Bree told you, but yeah, at our our retreat, um, we became fast friends, and I absolutely adore her. So I'm so excited to be here. I um, feel but-
0: replaced. <laughs> oh, the jealousy. I'm
2: just kidding. <laughs> it's okay, there's room for one more, and you know, try that. um, (laughs) Well, I am Shanna Pearson. I am the founder and visionary of 35 Coaching. Um, I started my coaching journey last year. Um, I think what was so unique about my journey is um, I graduated. We're not going to talk about when I graduated because it was a little (laughs) while ago, but um, I graduated in the 2000s. We'll say that. um, That counts. And I immediately went into corporate life. Um, and we can kind of unpack a little bit of that. Like my transition from sports into the corporate arena was really hard for me because as an athlete, um, that's your identity, right? You're, you are identified and it becomes who you are. It's your essence. So leaving that life of athletics and moving into, um, having to work nine to five um, at a job and sit at a desk was, it was challenging for me. Um, But I raised, I went up through the ranks um, in Oklahoma. Oil and gas is really, really big here. So I worked in the oil and gas industry um, and served um, several leadership roles. I was a trader um, and I did contract negotiations. So I was in some pretty high stressful, high level jobs, and I loved my time there. But if y'all remember, um, as fun as COVID and all the things were um, in 2020, quarantine especially, mm-hmm. I have two small girls. Oh, so fun. I have two small girls. And um, in April of 2020, uh, oil prices crashed and went to negative $38 a barrel. And I remember sitting at my you know, makeshift home office at the time with my two little girls and thinking, I am tired of making money for old guys. Like, I'm tired of it. And so, um, I literally started my, like, chasing my dream of becoming a life coach. It's something I've wanted to do for several years. And so, as I started on this journey, um, I got in a program um, the day before my first block of uh, classes started. I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And that was. I spent that first weekend of class, kind of, kind of wondering if I would even be here to be a life coach. Um, so crazy by the grace. Of, I know it's so insane. So by the grace of God, um, had surgery, removed the tumor. Uh, we caught it so early that I didn't have to do um, any chemo or radiation. But as a result of the life changes um, during all of this, too, I was. Uh, notified that I'd be let go from my corporate position. Um, actually, while I was recovering in the hospital from my surgery, um, I was okay with being let go because I had an end game, but I wasn't ready to let go of that cushy, safe six-figure salary, right? Right.
1: So Absolutely. Um, Who would be?
2: So as I continued this path, I started working with um, several different clients and I really felt my heart just wanted to get back into athletics and wanted to work with athletes. I'm a huge sports fan. Like Bree said, I played basketball. I love basketball. Um, and I really started getting that tug to work with female athletes specifically. Um, and so as I continued um, finishing my certification and my comp- uh, my graduate program and all the things, um, it really became clear to me that I wanted to work with uh Teenagers and young adults. So I specifically work with elite student-athletes around the ages of 15 to 22.
0: First of all, let's give um, like a soft round of applause for Yeah. Oh, no. Thank you, Travis. What Travis, together. 2020. I mean, Thank you. just crushing it, first of all. I mean, Does when you have... that take you
1: back to the glory days?
0: <laughs> I mean... Right? <laughs> all that, yeah. But having two children is like literally... Hard enough on top of a corporate job and changing jobs and having like and then you're fighting
1: cancer, yeah, Yeah. you're
0: a rock star. So, um, what an impressive
1: year you've had. I'm so glad though that even though you weren't ready, uh, that losing that job didn't let you lose your motivation to continue on uh, your journey to becoming a life coach and doing what you're doing today. It's easy, it's easy to lose fuel along the way when you are. Just so depleted. Oh, you lose fuel. That was not the right term. <laughs> that was the <hard>. right okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, Can we give her a wah God wah God. That was the wrong. <laughs> it's easy to lose steam or motivation when bad things start happening to you. I also had an extremely challenging 2020. This episode isn't about me. Uh, the same thing. Mine kind of just kept propelling me towards continuing to work harder, pursue my passions and my purpose and uh but it very easily there were days i was laying in the bed like i don't know if i can handle all this <laughs> i am sure you had some of those days sister didn't oh my, you yeah,
2: yeah my uh, my my own coach likes to give me a hard time when we first started working together um i had accidentally slipped and told her there were a few days that i was you know just sitting on the couch watching netflix like hiding under a blanket right um mm-hmm. And so as we continued our work, she was like, uh, no Netflix until five (laughs) o'clock.
0: So so, it's, I mean, it's a real thing. And I think, I think that, um, what I'm interested in knowing and what I would hope listeners are interested in is, you know, you're, you're coaching young athletes now, and you've been on this journey yourself. So, and I, and I've been on that journey too, and I know we've all kind of had our own personal experiences, but what really motivates you and what's your objectives of, you know, reaching female athletes that are going to high-level collegiate, uh, collegiate athletics, you know, what are kind of the main focuses that you, um, put your heart and soul into when, when coaching them?
2: Well, I love that question. I think the biggest thing for me, um, and the big, the biggest like pain points that I see are performance anxiety and pressure. And, um, and that really became highlighted last year during COVID when a lot of these athletes, they weren't able to participate in the sport that they love so much. They weren't able to practice. They weren't able to see their teams. They weren't able to compete. Um, and that created a lot of anxiety. And then as we started coming back into, you know, competition and getting to play again and, you um, I saw and I see a lot of performance anxiety. There's so much pressure, I think as an athlete, and I Bria, I bet you can speak to this as well. As an athlete, you put so much pressure on yourself um, to perform and to be great all of the time. Um, and so for me, like it, and it, you know, what I've identified it now is you can call it like the inner critic or the judge. But as I was going through my own athletic career, that inner critic I had was motivation, right? I can I can run faster. I can play harder. I can right. score more points, play better defense. As I transitioned out of athletics and into just life, that inner critic or that judge that I had
0: became debilitating. And Preaching to the choir over here. Girl, um, well, listen.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, I hate to even come in, but it's just that for me, one of the One of my trigger words is expectation. Mm -hmm. Expectation is the thing that will ruin a relationship. It will ruin you every single time it's unmet expectations um, or even unrealistic expectations that to the degree that you can fulfill it even maybe once, twice, but you may not be able to consistently fulfill it because it's too Mm -hmm. high. It's unrealistic to maintain that level. Same thing. do that to myself all the time. Expect way too much of myself. Too much of the time, there are moments that's acceptable, and there's moments it's not. And sure. um, also, just in my relationships, when people aren't meeting my expectations, hey, I need this done. It's not, um, and that might be between that relationship between coaches and and yeah. uh, and their. Uh, ugh, I'm sorry, and the athletes. I am not. In that f- sphere at all, I uh, was the kid that was eating ho hos and enjoying my life in high school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I mean, I think it's I think it's relatively But I to, relate from it from a business perspective and right. just a personal perspective.
0: I think I think kind of what what we're talking about too, Shanna, is that there's that transition of you also with high performance becomes it comes high reward. So you mm-hmm. whether it's an audience, a fan base, uh, you know. There's a a you're going after yeah, you're going after something that's tangible. And when you get into the corporate world, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) Or into an entrepreneurship role, you you know, you're high performing, but there's no one to say like, Woo, you know, like you don't have a full audience at the University of Arkansas cheering you on. You know what I mean? Like there's this transition of of reward and acceptance that pretty much is like ends when you graduate. Wow, I never even thought of that. Oh,
3: yeah. That. That's uh, got to be That's a weird we- dopamine hit to start. It is chase, a yeah. weird dopamine thing. For
2: sure. Do
1: you yeah, need me really- to start coming to your house and cheering for you Please more God, often? Please, God, I would love that. <laughs> can we,
2: yeah, can we just start along the sidewalk, like build a little bridge and we'll run out? So <laughs> <laughs> <the thing>?
1: based <laughs> on your experience, though, so how are you making a positive impact for these students in preparing them for that transition?
2: Well, and I think what's so interesting and unique is that when I work with high school athletes and we talk about competing at that next level, um, so when especially with elite athletes, they're typically on club teams or AAU teams um, aside from their school team, mm-hmm. and um, when we're making that transition, it college athletics is just a whole nother uh, you know play on words ball game. It mm-hmm. is it there. Becomes, it is again. Uh, there get, I know. Hey, here's the bad joke. <laughs> the puns, <laughs> but as an athlete, as a collegiate athlete, that really becomes a job. Yeah, um, and you are not only are you competing and you playing, but you are there because you are a high performer. You are an elite athlete, um, and so when I work with those athletes on transitioning into that next level, we talk a lot. We work a lot on mindset. And instead of um, a win-loss mindset, we talk about how every, in every competition, every win and every loss, there's an outcome. And the outcome is what, what did you get? Like, what did you learn from this opportunity? And so whenever you have, when you start looking at um, your competitions or your practice as an, an opportunity for growth and development, instead of like, oh, I've got to go to practice. I've got to go, you know, I've got to go to study hall. Um, it can for, and I've seen with these athletes, it almost becomes a competition in that, okay, well, what did I learn? How did I get better? How did I improve? And it becomes fun. That journey becomes fun for them versus feeling like it is um, a job at that level.
0: Yeah. So, and I think it, it, what's really interesting is there's, it, I'm glad that there's someone like you doing this because I feel like there's a huge gap for it because there's points in an athlete's life where it becomes not fun. And I think we were talking yes. about that a little bit at the beginning of the episode. You know, let's take Simone Biles for example. Absolutely. That's right? a so, perfect
1: transition into the conversation on outcomes is perfect transition into the Simone Biles situation right. with the
0: Olympics. It becomes not fun and I think that there's there's pressure and there's there's I almost do you talk to to athletes about like boundaries of of what that pressure is and how to deal with that?
2: Boundaries are huge. And I think that um, what I love most about Simone Biles, and I think you guys can relate to this being on teams and, you know, business partners, is that when you have that high level of expectation, having to say no, or having to back down, feels like a failure, That's right. right? So I am so like, when, when this all happened with Simone Biles, I was so proud that she Set that boundary for herself, like, yes, I want to compete. I, I know I'm a badass. Excuse me if I'm not supposed to say, you uh, oh, you're
1: fine. <laughs> and um, say it again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but she um, she really took in you know to into account that her physical and her mental well-being extended way beyond any type of competition or medal that she could have won at the Olympics.
1: Well, and I also just think all of the pressure going into it, there was so much focus on yeah. her. And then there was so much talk. Brie and I kind of had a pre, we always kind of have a pre-talk about whatever the episode's going to be about. And I said, you know, my perspective is almost, um, I think some people thought she backed out just to be like, you're not going uh, gra- to uh, assess me fairly or score mm-hmm. me fairly, so I'm not going to perform. And I said, I, I, I had kind of just read that and just people talking and just kind of, putting their own spin on whatever the truth was. I felt like her truth was really, I have practiced so hard, and to hear that my hard work isn't even going to be enough by a scoring, uh, in the re- in the realm of scoring, I just felt like that took a toll on her mental health. I, and only the re- only reason I felt it took a toll on her mental health is because I put myself in her shoes. If I mm-hmm. was so excellent, if people had built me up so big, and then instead of treating me fairly they decided to treat me unfairly could i handle that as a person not about as not not backing out of the of the competition to sure. to punish anyone but to say i don't know if i can handle the pressure of what the outcome is going to be of this situation. And I, I mean, I really felt for her in that. And I don't know if that, I haven't, you know, I have no insight into if that's actually how she felt. When I think about empathy too, sometimes is I'm looking at her and saying, I don't judge why you had to step away. If it were me, here's my understanding of what you're going through um, until I have the opportunity to get her point of view and her perspective. But I think she handled herself as a class act. I mean, she really what, to me was a wonderful example of caring for your mental health of our our lives are much more than built up than just one moment. No matter how hard we've worked for it, life goes on past the Olympics.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, as an athlete, when you know you're looking and to left and right, and you have your teammates and I mean that team becomes your tribe. They become your family. So for me, when she I know she probably had to have, sit down and have a conversation with her team. And um, so when I when I heard what was happening, I was so proud of her, one, for taking care of herself mentally and physically. Um, and two, I was super proud that she had that conversation with her team. Because I would think as an athlete, the number one thing I never wanted to do was let my teammates down. Right, And so I'm super proud. Like I'm super proud of her for setting that boundary, and I think you're right. Like, not only is she the goat, she's the greatest of all time. But you, you're going into a competition with that already on your shoulders, and then on top of that, um, yes, you are the greatest of all time. But we're not going to score you like the, you're the greatest of all time because we don't want it to look unfair. Mm-hmm. Well, that's unfair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That, that makes
0: sense, right? Hey, it's Bree here. Thanks for listening to Empathy Evolution. We'll get right back to the show, but I want to take a couple of minutes to give a shout out to some incredible friends and sponsors. First up is empathic practice. When I talked with owner Felipe Munoz, he was so excited to support our mission at Empathy Evolution. If you haven't heard of them, uh, I'll tell you that they've quite literally changed my life. They're a holistic wellness clinic that's in Pensacola, Florida, and they provide services like massage therapy, mindfulness, and meditation coaching. And they have a physician named Dr. Haas, who can determine if you qualify for a medical marijuana card. I'm a huge supporter of Felipe and his business, and I'm grateful that he is a sponsor for our show. Check him out by visiting their beautiful website, full of resources at empathicpractice.us. Up next is Scarlet magazine. This is the publication you guys have been waiting for the latest in women's fashion, beauty, home decor, lifestyle, and health. They say we at Scarlet aren't afraid of something new. We aren't afraid to be different and we don't care who you are, who you love, or what you look like. We want to empower women of all shapes and sizes and walks of life. <laughs> and if that doesn't describe Becca and I in a nutshell, I don't know what does. So check out the latest issue of Scarlet Magazine and the Pensacola Destin area, or you can view the digital subscription at issue.com. You can also visit their website. at scarletmag.com or visit their Facebook page to see what they're up to. Because frankly, we know you give a damn. Becca and I want to thank you for listening and remind you that we put our blood, sweat and tears into this production. My team at Social Icon does all the producing and promotion and Becca's nonprofit food, raising friends does all the giving. And we, we continue to support her in doing that. We appreciate all who listen and hope you'll show us some love by leaving a review, sharing or sending us a note of what you liked best about the conversation. Now back to the show.
3: I think it's great that you bring up just that level of pressure with her coming in. So I haven't gotten to talk much, but hi, Shannon, I'm Travis, and I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really glad you're here with us, speaking about your other you. medical troubles and stuff. And How I, brave I, is he? I, I love the point <laughs> about you bringing up the pressure she was under, because, you know, a lot of people have given her a lot of criticism, a lot of armchair quarterbacks out there, uh, acting like they have any perception of the level of pressure that Simone Biles mm-hmm. must have been under and to make those level of decisions. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about it as if she abandoned her team. No, she certainly, yeah. I'm sure, had those conversations with her team. And,
0: you mm-hmm. know,
3: I remember, you, know, you think back to the 96 Olympics or even the last games, and we knew three, four, five names of the girls on the U.S. Olympic gymnastics teams. It was, a, right. it was a team approach, we always knew this. This year, I knew Simone Biles going in. They literally never talked about anyone else. And,
1: right. And, you know, unless you were heavily involved, You, I'm, I agree. Right. So they, from so that high level, it was so just they, Simone Biles.
3: They discuss it as if absolutely her stepping away for her own reasons was a discredit to her team. In so many ways, I'm sure her team were like, do what you got to do. We've got this handled. They were all worthy to be at that level. And it, Allowed their names to come forward and them to shine. And so right. there was, that's just to discount that argument that she somehow was shorting her team.
1: That's a wonderful perspective, and, Travis. Had and, she not, they would have never had their opportunities to be highlighted in the fashion that they ended up being highlighted, especially Sonny Lee.
3: And it's completely ridiculous when people, I think, talk about, you know, she gave up or quit. And I, I also I'm uh, I'm I'm not an athlete. I, I did I did do some you know activities. I did competitive martial arts and stuff growing up for a bit, but never nice. I was never never uh, what you'd call an athlete. I was more of your typical tech nerd kind of guy. <laughs> Um, Listen, so I'm not gonna act that. I, I, God, for I thought those. you were
1: gonna say like you know like your mom made you go to do that stuff. <laughs>
3: no, no, I like to tell That's the right. story I the that I was, was uh, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was nine, and Power Rangers also came out at that time.
2: <laughs> so, like that.
3: Yeah, so I needed discipline, yeah. and uh, I was into that stuff. And nothing teaches you to stay in the moment like getting kicked in the face. <laughs> So it worked well for me. I, s- I stuck with it for like 10 years. Thank God for the tech nerds. Let's not, yeah.
0: let's not discount the tech nerds because you're, you're 90% of the reason that this is happening. So well, actually. But, but
3: the enjoyment. Oh. Well, I was going to say my, my defense of, of her and all of that is if she's struggling with something, if you are doing the things that literally no one else on the planet is doing with some of the mm-hmm. movements and, and routines she's throwing. If you are not 100% confident that you are in the state of mind and the trained position to pull that off, the only responsible thing is to not do it because you see what she's doing. There's – if you half that, you're getting injured.
0: Oh, yeah. You're done. Well, I I was talking about this with some of the other – so Carrie Strug in the 96 Olympics, mm -hmm. right, like – there was the, the vault that she did where
3: she... Did on a broken ankle?
0: Broke her ankle, and people applauded yeah. that. But yeah. if you look at her face after... I mean, it was all for her coach. It was all for her team. And now, granted, that's pretty badass, but also, like, Looking back. R- ruined her career. Yeah, she never
3: competed well, after that, I don't think.
1: I also think yeah. that Simone Biles' situation, and Shane, I would love to hear your perspective on it, because Travis brought up something, and I almost go like, oh, I want to ask her this question now.
3: Yeah.
1: Simone Biles... Situation actually brought light to that 1996 situation for Mm -hmm. two reasons. Because of I'm with you, the look on her face. Had I ever really contemplated that look that said, "Do I have to do this?"
0: And we didn't think about it. And daughters, you know, never.
1: And him nodding like, "Go do it again," and her Mm -hmm. agreeing as a child. And then, in addition to. That it was not even a necessary vault to win the right. Olympics, and so the sacrifice she made on top of it wouldn't have even been necessary. And uh, Shanna, I wonder, was there ever a time in your career as an Olympic—I mean, as a collegiate athlete? I'll take Olympic, sorry, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll float your butt all day, girl. But as a collegiate (laughs) athlete, where you felt what Travis was saying, there was a moment that you're like, maybe right now I should, I'm not in the headspace to be competing, but I'm still out here. Do you, do you have, did you have moments like that? If so, do you regret them? How would you coach uh, uh, someone in your care now that might be facing something like that?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think just kind of to speak to that care struggle, like you guys talked about like that look that she gave. When I look back at that, I see that fear, like Mm -hmm. she fearful, but it And she felt like she didn't have a choice. Right. Right. And so um, in my career, I injured my back pretty severely at the end of my junior year. And it was never a question if I would be, if I would continue to compete, it was just when, how soon can you get back to competing? And so as a result, I, I ended up with a, chronic back injury and had a ended up having a seven hour surgery that I was cut in the front and the back of me to repair my back. Um, and so these are, so when I think about these things, I think about injuries that, that happen when you're 20, 19, 20, but they're going to last for a lifetime. Right. And, um, and kind of speaking to that as athletes, you, you, you want to perform you want to be out there but you have that you know you have that um kind of that mental game where you know it's probably not best for your physical body to make to continue in competition but mentally that's what you want to do Mm -hmm. and so um I think that and and you probably
1: feel that others expect you to as well
2: yes and and as and I think as athletes, a lot of a lot of athletes really suffer from that people pleasing syndrome, right? Because you get that external validation of being great and doing a great job. You hear that, you know, great job. You're so amazing, all the things. So that really, that, that fills you up. And you want to be able to, to perform like that for not only yourself, but for your coaches and for your parents and your team. Um, So I just think that it where I extended some empathy with all the armchair quarterbacks around Simone Biles is that as me, as an athlete coming up, that wasn't a choice that we had that, Hey, I need to sit this one out because I'm physically not able to, to compete, or I don't feel like I'm mentally able to compete. And so we've got, you know, we have that old school thought of, you get out there, you tape up your broken ankle, you tape up your, you know, you put some, you know, rods in your back and you keep going. And what I love to see now is that athletes are really taking power and taking control of the fact that they always have a choice. Mm -hmm. They want to, either they want to compete or they don't. And if they don't, I guarantee you, there's a damn good reason why they, they don't want to compete. And it's, probably because of things like Simone Biles. She had the twisties. Can you imagine getting out on a vault or the balance beam or whatever and not knowing where you're going to land? Like, that's terrifying. It's dangerous. So, yeah.
1: well, Like Travis dangerous. said, that is, I mean, it is, a, it, it's not just about the fact she was taking care of her mental health. She knew what she was risking if she didn't. I, I hadn't huh. even thought about that until huh. you said it. I was well, like, right. I, and,
0: and, and I think that uh, uh, to give to the point that you were making, Shanna, about injury is It's always a, a pass-fail, right? Like you're either winning oh, and in the game or you're you're letting someone down because you're injured. But if you're injured, you literally have no control over that. And I think right. that's a big factor and for people.
1: I also was thinking about the age that all of these young adults and these teenagers are making these decisions. Um, right. Just to share with you, you talk about, I, again, this episode isn't about me, but I broke my back in December, four bones in my back. and. Uh, I run a nonprofit. We move food. I do a lot of heavy lifting. I have two kids, and I've always treated my six year old like he was a baby, and I carry him around all the time, which is terrible. <laughs> and, you know, so I am just a person, I'm straight, extric- I-, I may not be active in the sense that I'm going to the gym all the time but I live a very active lifestyle I sure. have to have a lot of capacity and I couldn't even walk for two weeks and then in that well, following two weeks I kept pushing myself And people are like you're pushing yourself way too hard mm-hmm. I'm a 30 year old woman feeling like okay I got to get back up on my feet as soon as possible I have a business to run I have a family to raise
3: mm-hmm. um but, Hashtag I, mom life. but
1: I know and, but I had to really take stock in Do you want to get better fast or do you want to heal your back in the long term? Um, I broke my L1, my L2, my L3, my L4, and my L1 and L2 were broken all the way through. L3, Mm. L4 just fractured, so risk of additional injury pending. (laughs) And and to tell you, it was nothing – it's not a great story. I slipped getting out of my car. And the running board, I drive a Yukon, so my car's a little bit higher, hit the running board, not even from hitting the ground. I mean, this isn't even a good story. I'm like, nonetheless, when I hit the ground, I knew I'd broken my back. No one believed me. I was like, I know it's broken. Then they were like, oh my gosh, it really is broken. I'm like, I know, I can't move. Um, But nonetheless i was i'm a 30 year old woman having to make that kind of conscious choice of how far do i want to push my body how fast it's hard and we're leaving. yeah it was it, i was i went through a terrible depression over it too right we're leaving these decisions to i don't want to call them children but Men 18 adults. 19 20 21 coming out of their childhood sometimes in their childhood because you mm-hmm. said you're working with 15 year olds to young mm-hmm. adults who have a dependence on maintaining their collegiate athlete status if they're injured, if they're out, they lose their, not just their identity, but they could lose their scholarships, they could lose their opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're pushing ourselves. And I'm so glad she opened the door saying even the best, even people say the goat needs space for mental health. And that mental health is as important as a physical injury as well. That if you're physically injured, you should be taking care of yourself. If you're mentally injured or dealing with a mental, uh, uh, what would you call crisis, that? Crisis, any sort of. Yeah, yeah, with a mental <laughs> health diagnosis crisis, it's okay to step back and take time for that. And, uh, I mean, that's a lesson for me, too, be, because I, I definitely pushed it. So I relate to that in that sense of. How long you want to be hurt for?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why?
1: And, and I think that.
0: How long you want to um, be hurt, Shanna? We and I know we have parents that are going to be listening to this, and we do have Absolutely. a couple of questions, but I want to give you the opportunity, and Travis, if you have anything to say, to comment on on that before I go into some of those.
3: Well, the only thing I, I have in my head that I wanted to bring up, but I'm afraid it's going to take us down a different avenue. Um <laughs> oh, no! Is well, just that never
0: uh, happens on this show. <laughs> 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 well, the was, empathy evolution. Just the evolution this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> evolution of something else.
3: Well, my thought process is not just the the emotional and mental well-being. We talked about the physical well-being. But we're talking mostly about backs and shoulders and, and hips and the way these these young people can be injured. But, you know, think about a lot of these people who, you know, grew up or in contact sports like football, rugby, mm-hmm. um, boxing. I know where you're going. I mean, the brain's not fully developed until 25. Right. I mean, you know, the last time I heard a comment about concussion was in the new Jackass movie um, trailer talking about, because it just played in the movie theater, and they talked about as long as you have your concussions by age 50, they're fine. And I'm like, if if that's where we're getting our concussion advice, <laughs> is a Jackass <laughs> film trick? Yeah, <laughs> maybe we need to protect the... You know, the level we're letting these kids get their noggins knocked around a bit. And, I mean, I got knocked out a couple times <laughs> in my teens um, competing. So, um you know, I think I'm fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, listen, my mama put me in swimming because she knew better. Yeah, You know,
1: and I, and I don't know if we want to go down this uh path or if this would be even in your wheelhouse or level of expertise. I mean, you talk about that. Aaron Hernandez is a perfect example of that. These football players who have had serious mental health issues um, after playing football. When Mm -hmm. they did the autopsy, if you've ever had the opportunity to watch Aaron Hernandez's uh, documentary, it is on Netflix. Um, I mean, he did some absolutely deplorable, awful things. But when they actually did his autopsy, it was requested that they do a a CT. I think it was either a CT or a PET scan of of his brain. And there were literally... Parts of his brain so damaged, and actually, in fact, parts of his brain that they were saying, in a sense, disintegrating. Mm, not right. the first, not the first professional athlete in, in especially in the football uh, hockey sector, to have this type of diagnosis, was not diagnosed until post mortem. But that they're missing. So you know, our brain is built up of kind of the section in the back. The uh, uh, court. Uh, we have our prefrontal <laughs> cortex. Oh, something's there. Prefrontal cortex, we ha- which is kind of the problem-solving part of our brain that tells mm-hmm. us we can handle things that are hard. We have the emotional part of our brain in the middle, and then the back is kind of the fight-or-flight response. And mm-hmm. um, and the fight-or-flight response is really built into our spine. It's a much stronger part of the brain. It's how we stay alive. Right. And then we move forward, and we have that emotional state where we're deciding uh, – Am I loved in this situation? Am I going to be okay from that emotional perspective? Then you have the front that says, okay, I can handle this. I can handle hard things. And they're saying prefrontal cortex on him, almost completely gone, Mm. which means he doesn't know how to problem solve. He's functioning on fight or flight, which causes you to act erratically, act without uh, really thinking about consequences or just being very rational. Um, So... I don't know if that's your area of expertise at all, but it is another component of this mental health. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's not um, like... Uh, is that where you were going with that, Travis?
3: Well, just that we, you know, we'd been discussing the physical aspects and physical damage, but the, you know, the brain is part of that physical damage, which, Absolutely. you know, impacts every every part of their life. I The only, I never had anything like that, but I taught high school for eight years and uh, there was a young man who came through our football program, and uh, before his senior year, and he was a star player, uh, had a significant back injury, and could have been told to heal up. Let's get on the field. We got a few months before the season starts, but his parents and the coaching staff and the recruiters and everyone—I um, don't know his exact story too much. I mean, I was there with him and uh, on the sidelines and stuff a bit. So, um, and I've and I've actually lived in the neighborhood with his father now. We're um, uh, we did, we've known each other for years, but um, he he got protected. They p- put him in a mm-hmm. back brace, had surgery, and they made him sit on the sidelines for the entire season, almost a year, I think. And he was finally well enough and clear that he got to play a few minutes of like the last like game or two of his senior year. Yeah. Um, and then I think he redshirted his freshman year in college to build size and get back in the condition and loosen everything back up. And then he was a star player in college. He's plays in the NFL now. He's That's done amazing. very, very well. But I can't think he'd be, you know, three years into an NFL career if people had let him rush that injury,
0: Ex- mm-hmm. or allowed him to make that decision yeah. for himself. So, yeah. so I think I think what I want to to do because I think those are all super relevant. And I think a question for you, Shanna, is, you know, during these processes, you know, are you are you reaching these young adults as they're coming out of high school, kind of? pre, you know, height of their, you know, performance in college? Um, are you reaching them while they're on traveling teams? Are you with them during their collegiate experience? What's that like for you?
2: So I've got a few different, several different ones. Um, I work with, um, I, the youngest I've worked with is 15 turning 16. And so, uh, trying to decide, um, if they want to continue basketball, if they want to go um, through a different sport, how like how they want to manage um, their athletics in their um, high school. Mm-hmm. And then I also have athletes that are transitioning from high school into college and we're getting prepared. Uh, we're doing all the things like time management, goal setting. Uh, the big piece that I like to talk about when you guys started talking about the brain, I kind of nerd out on a lot of that. Because <laughs> Me athletes, too. I, mean, I just, I love talking about it. And um, so we, I talk about that a lot with my athletes. And then I move into, I also have some athletes that are in college and that's where we really start um, focusing on the mindsets mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of fun too.
0: Very cool. Well, I did have a question from a parent that sent something through Instagram. Um, Jenny oh. Rooney had asked me, um, you know, as they have a 12 year old and they feel like they would benefit um, and being in sports, but their 12 year old has performance anxiety, you know, what are their options?
2: So I think performance anxiety is so interesting because that can extend not only into sports, but I, I've worked with dancers and, um, theater kids that are, that, that, that struggle with that performance anxiety. And so whenever we break it down, usually there's something behind that anxiety, right? There is a, a fear of failing or a fear of perfectionism or a fear of just people pleasing, or, you know, maybe the, the athlete or the um, performer is doing this, not because it's what they love, but it's because what their parents have pushed them into or what they feel to be doing. So whenever we break down that performance anxiety, it usually there's, there's another layer to it. And it's, um, that's the stuff that I like to work on with those athletes or, or athletes and the performers. If, if there's, Um, a fear of failure, we really break that down and we talk about like what that, where that comes from. Why is there a fear of failure? Um, And then we even talk about failure options. Like, well, what's the worst that could happen, right? You get on stage, forget your lines or you um, get, you know, you turn the ball over when you're playing a sport, whatever. Did you die?
0: Is that kind of, but did you die?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so that's really, when, when I talk, when I work with performance, that's a lot of what I do. Um, so we really break down the the layers beneath that performance anxiety. And um, and we usually go into the mindset work.
1: Mm, that's awesome. Is there a yeah. place that parents can access some of your information without hiring you as a coach? Do you have a website, Instagram, <laughs> anything we could uh, share for especially parents who had questions and maybe didn't even get to get them in with us before the episode? Can Absolutely. Find
2: you. My website is 35coaching. It's um, the number three and five, coaching.com. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's 35coaching, Inc. or on Facebook, 35coaching.
0: Awesome. Well, Shanna, I think this is such a really, um, it's such a hot topic um, for uh, young adults that are in sports, you know, at h- the highest levels. And I think what you're doing is such a such a gift um, for a gap that I think has been needed for a long time. I wish I had a, a coach like you when I, I was. I really younger. think it's
1: building empathy within the this the sect of of high level athletics, and Absolutely. and maybe and you know uh, Quint Studer, who's a local uh, guru here for small business and healthcare and such, but he says any good knowledge is transferable between sects, and so I think about you were talking about athletics, but this is a great information for people in the professional setting. This is great info for the mom who's trying to be, you know, the best mom in the world and stays home but is feeling overwhelmed. This is great advice really for anyone, you know, even sitting here with Travis. Travis is one of those that he likes to be the best at what he does and he has a really high level of expectation for himself in his work. And he's sitting here somewhat nodding, not nodding. But we <laughs> all we all need to be able to uh, view our professions with – the keen eye and the information you've shared and be able to look at others and their experiences uh, with empathy ourselves, but also give our look at ourselves that way.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, the main key thing that I take away from this is that um, if you have a child or maybe you are a child, if you're a young adult or you're in sports as a young adult um, that Shanna is a trusted Expert at this, and Absolutely. that relationship she forms with her athletes is a relationship that's confidential, um, yep. and it's a safe space. And I think that's mm-hmm. also very important um, for for children. I keep calling them children for young adults that age. Fifteen, well, children
1: um, to young adults, and, right. uh, But also, like I said, the thirty-one-year-old broke their back. I mean, this is not. This is a. <laughs> this is good info. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's oh, been such a pleasure.
2: Great, this is so much fun. Thank you for having me. Let's go to Oklahoma and visit her soon.
0: <laughs> All right, look at tickets, it's girl. They're under two hundred dollars. We're going. Let's go. <laughs>